gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello everybody and welcome to this, the latest episode of Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. I'm Stephen Wilson and this is our final episode of 2019 where we'll be going through the best of the year. Before I introduce this week's panel to talk about everything that's happened in 2019, we're going to do a bit of usual bit of housekeeping. We're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Suplex Retweet. Uh, you can also find us on any good podcasting site, so that includes Spotify, iTunes and anything on Android. And we also have a brand spanking Patreon channel where we've got a mixture of free content and content that you can subscribe to from upwards of $4 a month where you can get some great shows such as the Wednesday Night Wars, the Monday Night Rewind and 4-Way Fatal to name a few. Right, then let's introduce my panel for this week's show where we'll talk about the best of 2019. First, she has became obsessed with jam sandwiches. It's Sarah Grieve. <laughs> Hi, Stephen. It's a piece of jam. Well, we're not going to get into that debate. It's been like one of the best debates I've had this year, though. Yes, well, while we're talking about the best of 2019 in the last two days, at time of recording, we've had our most interactive <laughs> poll on Twitter <laughs> talking about a piece of jam or a cheese or a jam sandwich. <laughs> What's the world coming to? We would have thunk it. I know. Tell me about it. I was, I was saying this to Laura the other day. Like, we did one on Trisha Lita and we got not, nowhere near as much interaction. <laughs> The wrestling universe, what they like. <laughs> we like our jam sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And also joining us today is a man who likes putting cats in the door for reasons that we don't want to go into. It is David Hockney. <laughs> yeah, man, how's it going? How's things? Uh, not too bad. And to be honest, you're, you're going to be outvoted here because it is a jam sandwich. Oh, yes. Go away. Team jam sandwich. Well, the Twitter universe says it was a piece of jam. So. Uh, nah. Mm. Yeah, what do they know? But, don't argue with Twitter, the Twitter university. <laughs> you see what happened to the, the poor guys who have put out things slagging AEW? You don't want to be one of those guys. <laughs> hey, I, I review the Wednesday Night War, so I've got to look at AEW from an impartial perspective here. Same with NXT as well. Mm-hmm. Even though I even though I do own an Undisputed Era t-shirt. Did you buy the Undisputed Era Christmas jumper? No, I didn't, unfortunately. Poor show, man, poor show. Mm-hmm. For any of, us, any of our listeners who are wondering, our uh, producer Kwaku Aji is absent for this particular recording with the man flu and all forms of brass throwing at him. But <laughs> he'll be on hand to obviously edit the show, make it sound brand spanking and nice and lovely as always. He's such a player, isn't he? Getting brass thrown at him. You're, you're one to talk, David, but less about that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the best of 2019. So the format that we're going to do on this one is we're going to just circle around the panel, myself, Sarah and David, so we're going to go through some of our best moments of 2019. Since there is only three of us, we've got a lot of stuff that we can talk about. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, the seducer in the corner there, David Hockney. <laughs> uh, Dave, kick us off. What's your first one? Well, believe it or not, I'm actually going to kick things off with something that's not WWE related. Oh my god, shut the front door. Yep. Uh, I'm actually going to kick things off with an event that took place at the very start of the year. It was ICW's Square Go event. Ooh, I did not expect that. I didn't see Mm -hmm. that coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, largely because I think it was probably one of the most well-rounded shows of the entire calendar year. Because we had a cracking opener with the Tag Team Championships, Kings of Catch defeating POD. Mm-hmm. And then about the middle match, we had Joe Coffey against Ilya Dragunov, which was arguably one of the best matches the entire year. And then rounding it off itself with the square goal match itself, 
it was full of ups and downs, surprise entrance, and we had a very, uh, very popular winner with Red Lightning. Uh, Rudo Red Lightning, as he is now known now. Mm-hmm. Rudo, yeah, Rudo. Uh, Sarah Dave alluded to the tag team championship match. It was a kind of a, it was a feel good moment months in the making for the Kings oh, of yeah. Catch. No, absolutely. I think we we had all been clamouring for the Kings of Catch to win those titles. Like I think ever since Fear of Loathing, like in that December prior, we were clamouring and really wanting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like there was there was like loads of twists and turns in that match where you actually thought hopefully Lewis and Aspen can do it, but there were times you're like, oh no, what if they're not going to make it? And um, so like the actual heightened drama managed to actually keep you entertained and hooked on the entire match, like throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Dave, you mentioned the match between Joe Coffey and Ilya Dragunov now. Mm-hmm. You, you've been criticised in the past for your ICW attendances centering around WWE signed talent. Mm-hmm. And you've obviously picked out a match here with two guys from NXT UK. I know, I know. But um, in my defence, like Joe Coffey is probably my fav- one of my favourite uh, superstars from sort of any promotion. You know, whether it be ICW, NXT UK, like you know, the man can go like and deliver not just great matches, but also he cuts amazing promos at the same time. And when he goes up against a man who is intense and scary looking as Ilya Dragunov. I mean, that was the first time I ever seen Dragunov in a match as well. I didn't even know he'd signed for NXT UK by that point, but just seeing these two go at it, it it made me sort of want to go to more sort of big ICW events and see matches like that. Sarah, you're a big fan of Ilya Dragunov. Obviously, you picked him as part of your uh, team for the latest fantasy season. Yeah. The ESSR. You have, you'd seen a bit of him dragging off before that. You, also, you mentioned that in the preview for this uh, event show. Oh yeah, like I, I absolutely love Ilya Dragunov, and I think like see when they announced him, I was absolutely buzzing because like I'd seen what he'd done in like WXW and Progress, etc., and I was like, he's crazy. Oh yeah, he's an absolute nut. Like he's an actual nutter. But you also you also love him at the same time. Like he's he, he comes across as quite fun loving, but. When, it, when push comes to shove, he's like, right, okay, time to knuckle down, I'm going to kick you in. Mm-hmm. What do you prefer, his NXT UK music or his indie music? Oh, I mean, his NXT UK music makes him just sound like a... a, it's, a like, it's, it's catchy. It's like a very fun-loving music while his indie music is, I'm going to kill you and kick you in. Yeah. Well, exactly, yeah. NXT music is uh, is very catchy, and he, but he also he comes out as a bit of a conductor, a bit. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but on the on the Indies, he just comes out like he's going to kick your head in. Yeah, yeah. But WWE NXT's kind of got to be sort of a bit more family friendly, so I can see why they changed it. Uh, Dave, you mentioned about Joe Coffey. Uh, Joe Coffey gets quite a lot of criticism on the uh, social media fronts from a lot of the crowd, particularly the guys down in England. They're not very, very big Joe Coffey fans. The one they announced it was going to be Walter and Joe Coffey at the next uh, takeover event. It was met with a lot of dismay uh, mm. south of the border. Uh, are you a bit perplexed by that particular criticism of him? Yeah, a little bit. I- I'm not sure maybe it's because maybe they've not been exposed to some of his other matches in ICW or whatever, but yeah, just hearing that, it's it's quite baffling to think like this is one of these guys who basically he took Pete Dunne to the limit at the first Blackpool takeover mm-hmm. and a guy who's been consistently brilliant throughout NXT UK as part of Gallus. Like, I'm honestly genuinely surprised that you know people aren't you know as gripped with it as say you know people like us who have been or I think it's safe to say we're we're all fans of of Joe Coffey. 
Yeah, Sarah, you've seen a lot more of Joe Coffey than Dave. Could you maybe see more of a side of that, or are you swaying towards what Dave said? I mean, I've got like my own opinions on Joe Coffey. Like, not to say like I can't say that he's bad, but it's like his style of wrestling just isn't for me. So mm-hmm. I find it quite difficult to get into one of his matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think see when you're putting forward people to to face like Walter, you're like, is Joe the best fit? Because mm-hmm. It just sort of depends on which which perspective you do look at it from because you can look at it from no he's not the money maker from Gallus or he's not the most talented or this that and the next thing but every single time that Joe is given that spotlight he runs away with it and you, you have to give him his credit like that last man standing with uh, Dave Mastiff was probably one of Joe's best work that I've ever seen him do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And um, we, we're obviously talking about the Square Goal pay per view here, Sarah. Um, uh, Dave mentioned Rudo Lightning obviously getting the win, but probably about the MVP of the match was uh, somebody from your neck of the woods and Liam Thompson. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I mean, what was it? Liam came in at number one, and like I think that, that was like a nice moment because um, we, like, we all know what happened to Liam in the Square Goal mm-hmm. the last time he tried to enter one. Oh, you never got in. <laughs> <laughs> He, 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 he didn't get to enter it, exactly. Mm-hmm. So this year he actually got to enter it and yet he made it pretty much all the way to the end, which you could tell that that was going to really set the tone for what his year was going to be like. Yeah. Like they, you, you get like the momentum of the winner, but then you also get the momentum of whoever's the Iron Man mm-hmm. of that match. It's the exact same as the Rumble, like that person's going to get the push. Did he not make it to the last three? You did, yes. Rudo yeah. and Joe Hendry. Yeah, he did, yep. yeah. But uh, Dave, uh, of all these great Scottish talent, your your biggest pop was in uh, when Double J showed up, Jeff Jarrett. Oh my God, I was yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not even going to complain about that because, like, when I saw the first JJ, I'm thinking, oh wow, is this is this what I think it is? And then it's like, oh wait, yeah, it's it's Jackie Polo, yeah, because we've not seen him since last year's Fear and Loathing when he lost the world title. Uh, but then number twenty nine, another JJ pops up, and I literally, I literally jump. Like, because uh, I'm standing next to to Alan, and when I saw Jeff Jarrett come out, I'm literally just on his shoulders, like literally jumping like a like a like just like a pogo stick. It's the I, I just popped like nobody's business. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good pay per view PS Square going. I'm surprised you picked that one, Dave. But it's a good way to kind of kick off this particular mm-hmm. show. Sarah, what are you going to go for? What's your first best one of 2019? Oh, I would have to say like I've got like so many <laughs> that. <laughs> I could easily say and I know people will probably think uh, of one that I would easily go to but I'm not going to go there I'm mm-hmm. actually going to go with NXT and Survivor Series mm, nice. like that was a very big marquee moment for this year because that everyone kept saying no when are you going to like go to the main roster or they're going to go back down to NXT and yet they were always fighting to say no we are our own brand mm-hmm. and, and that was the thing that that really cemented it because that put them on the map and i've never seen nxt look better mm-hmm. dave you're an nxt mark these days yeah uh, you like obviously n- concur never mind raw smackdown i am fully fledged nxt now when it comes to wwe programming like you know and, it, and a lot of people say look nxt is the developmental brand that like for the last sort of few years but no this is now the main roster and i think that's the transition that 2019 was for nxt in that they're not just some 
daft wee brand building up the stars of tomorrow. No, this is where the best talent is, where the best storylines are. And this is the place like anybody would consider it an honour to be a part of. Aye, I mean, Sarah, some of the, the big moments from that particular Survivor Series, uh, the, the women's team, Team yep. XD women obviously getting the win as well. And of course, uh, Shayna Baszler uh, winning the main event against both Becky Lynch and Bayley. Oh yeah, like it, it certainly elevated the women's division that's in NXT as well because they are very often overlooked like especially especially like people like Leah Ripley or Candice LeRae etc like they are so so badly overlooked mm-hmm. that I think that's it made the most sense to have them come out on top like even like there was like a little bit of controversy in the women's match for the uh, for the survival match but even then still worked out it still worked out like so much better and it basically brought down like Sasha and Charlotte like down a couple of pegs because you're like yeah you may be the part of the four horsewomen you may have helped kickstart this women's revolution but there's also so many other women that are on the same level as you Mm -hmm. and also it was a standing night as well Dave for the man who was once known and will now be known forever on this podcast as Austin Jenkins. Mm. For God's sake. <laughs> you, you've clearly learned your lesson from the Survivor Series show, haven't you? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we mm-hmm. are talking about uh, Mr. Cole. Uh, <laughs> Bay. <laughs> I'm not letting you do it. No, uh, that, that's one just because he only said half his name. Oh, nope. Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, he had a great match with Pete on the Survivor Series. Though. That was an outstanding match as well. Like Given, you know, the... Well, Adam Cole was in the War Games match. The at the takeover and then Pete Dunne had that amazing triple threat match with Damian Priest and Big Demo Killian Dane mm-hmm. so I, just to see these two like they were obviously nurse I, I said this on the Survivor Series review show like they were both you could tell they were both nursing injuries but the storytelling between the two of them was outstanding and it was to think that they could put on that great of a match with minimal build it, it just goes to show how well talented and respected these guys are when it comes to putting on a match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did, uh, Sarah, did you think uh, Pete Dunne was the best fit to face Adam Cole, given these other potential two options of Kelly and Dane and Damian Priest? I mean, I think it made the most sense considering that Damian Priest, like, or as we know him, like on the end days as Punishment Martinez, but he was still quite very new to NXT. Yeah. So. He probably if if the people watching Survivor Series solely watch WWE, they're not going to be familiar mm-hmm. with outside uh, indie talent coming in. So I think keeping him out of that match with Adam Cole was probably a good shout. And Kelly and Dane just coming as a singles competitor, like he's been known as the big theory guy from Sanity mm-hmm. for the past couple of years. So when looking at three like Pete Dunne would, would have been the obvious choice because he is like one of the longest reigning champions in WWE history yeah um, and you know him and Tyler Bate put on like that match of the year at Chicago and all that sort of stuff and like he, you heard the pop when he entered the Royal Rumble this year mm-hmm. like because people know who the Bruiserweight is so I think him versus Adam Cole made the most sense no definitely and I think it was a survival series as a whole was the the pay-per-view that showed that NXT UK no no NXT sorry not NXT UK uh, well NXT UK kind of were like a, not a developmental brand they are the fun mm. brands so no, yeah. the, the, the UK no, we, we said this before in the review show that I think the UK brand really was not painted in the same light as you know the full sale NXT was no, but at I least mean, 
at least the yeah. NXT main brand got a bit of level playing. Yeah, that's kind of I think NXT full sailors at that point whether they can they can outdo Raw and SmackDown now. Where I think NXT UK it's still it's still just over a year old and it's uh, I think it's still finding its feet. Yeah, but no, no, it's a, that was a great choice, Sarah. Thanks for that. Right, I'm going to go with one. Um, the obvious person who would have picked this uh, particular option is not on this particular recording. I'm going to go with Kofi Mania. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the rise of Kofi Kingston as we led into WrestleMania, where he came out of absolutely nowhere to get the recognition that he deserved after so many years to win the WWE title against Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania 35. Uh, Sarah, what could, would you, if we had had this show last year, obviously, you would not have called Kofi Kingston being a WWE champion this year. Absolutely not. I mean, he probably would have been one of the last people that mm-hmm. folk would have picked. Like, just because, it, yeah, he's been with the, he's been with the company for so long, and he's only ever been the mid card, mm-hmm. like US champion, Intercontinental champion, um, tag team champion. I mean, now technically, all he needs to do is just win one more championship, and boom, he's a he's a he's a um, Grand, Grand Slam. Slam Grand Slam champion. So I think, see when like that came out of nowhere, like because when they got put, put into that elimination chamber match, like this is when it all kicked off. You were just like, right, okay, Kofi's in, but he's probably not going to win it, mm-hmm. um, or he's probably not going to get like very much done. He's going to be like there for like the high flying spots, like he's usually chucked in like for the rumble for. Mm-hmm. So I think to get over as much as he did, I don't think anyone, like nobody, nobody could have saw that coming. Yeah, Dave, it was a it was a great bit of storytelling from WWE between Elimination Chamber and WrestleMania to get Kofi as over as he would and get make him that sympathetic babyface that we all wanted to root for. You know what? I think this was probably the most organic, natural story that WWE has told all year because WWE is sort of in this habit where they tend to plan like WrestleMania sort of main championship matches within about say a year in advance. But the fact that this came literally like between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, there was I think there was a fair bit of uncertainty about whether we're going to go with it, given that you know Kevin Owens had just come back and Mustafa Ali was tipped for a sort of big sort of main event run, given that he was in the triple threat match at Fastlane. But it, it, it's just weird to think that this all sort of came about when Mustafa Ali suffered his back injury and he couldn't compete in the chamber. Yeah, it's amazing. Sarah Dave mentions uh, what happened to Ali, that he had to get pulled from the Elimination Chamber match. It just shows once again that the WWE do their best storytelling when their back's against the wall and they have to improvise. Well, yeah, like, I do completely agree with that. And I do agree with, like, what Dave said of it being, like, the most organic form of storytelling. Because the last time you saw this kind of underdog story was Daniel Bryan for WrestleMania. Like, for WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I think was like the last time they ever did something this raw and like this believable. Like you actually wanted to root for it, and like the the amount of love and support like they had like going out all the way out to Ghana, like Biggie, Xavier Woods, like proper proper going in. And half the time you were just like, are they just shooting right now? Are they or is this is this what they're actually meant to be saying? Mm-hmm. Just with the amount of emotion that went into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave Sarah actually obviously mentioned there that I've not done something like this as well since uh, Daniel Bryan's run to WrestleMania 30 which mm-hmm. probably makes it quite uh, iconic and obviously the fact that it was Daniel Bryan that Kofi was feuding against at this particular yeah. time 
Yeah, it was kind of ironic given that, you know, Kofi's storyline to Mania sort of mirrored what Daniel Bryan did five years ago and Daniel Bryan was going in as the defending champion. So, I mean, it was kind of funny, you know, given all the references they made because Bryan called Kofi a B-plus player in a way. But looking back at Kofi's, well, uh, heavily highlighted 11-year career, I mean, Sarah did mention it. He was kind of just the... The guy who was always there as the sort of old reliable superstar, someone who you could always count on to be, say, a transitional champion or a solid tag team champion with the New Day, but he never ever got that sort of main event push before. Because he has had a, a couple of WWE title matches, but they were often usually just uh, multi-person matches such as the Elimination Chamber in 2012. like, And that's about as far as he got. But having this spotlight on him specifically even though he was part of the new day i think that elevated the new day as a whole uh but not so not just kofi yeah i think that's right sarah but dave says it's right he's actually helped the new day overall just take that extra level i mean yeah for a while i didn't think the new day could get even more over than what they already were Mm -hmm. until kofi managed to have this run because again you never had like that singles person it was always the three of them together like free board rule when it came to the tag team championships as well you never actually had like the whole best friends pushing their other best friends to like be successful it's just like no no we're all going to stay together mm-hmm. and that I think this is what helped elevate them even more because you're like they are friends like they actually care about each other yeah definitely I also helped make it such a great moment and that's why it's the first moment I've picked out from 2019 uh, Dave I'm going to go back to you what's your um, next pick for the best of the year well, I'm actually going to go back to NXT for a moment, and but particularly to one person in particular. And before you ask, it's not who you think it is. No, I, I, might, I, might, bring, I might bring it up a bit later on. But one person who I think has come leaps and bounds in 2019 and probably has one of the strongest bookings all year is Shayna Baszler. Right, okay. Yeah, like literally, if you looked at, say two years ago or something when Shayna Baszler sort of first arrived on the scene she seemed a bit green and in the ring given she was doing the transition from MMA but she's just grown into the role as dominant NXT women's champion for like probably of all time because I have checked my stats here and she uh, she ended her reign as NXT women's champion with a combined 548 days as champion and mm-hmm. that beat Asuka's reign at 522 so she's beaten Asuka by over three weeks in Daisy's NXT Women's Champion but Asuka never got beat so you can't, it's, it's a hard one to compare and that's over a two. single reign as well yes, yeah it's a hard one to compare but Sarah as Dave alludes to she had a really dominant year Shayna if you look at the names that she beat off the likes of Kairi Sane uh, Bianca Belair Io Shirai Mia Yim she pre- up until Rhea Ripley came along towards the end of the year, she had uh, there was no equivalent to her. There was nobody could stop her. Oh yeah, no, it, it kind of got to the point where it was very, very similar booking to Asuka in a way because it's like who the hell can bloody beat her? Mm-hmm. It's like she's powered through every single woman that was in the like in the roster that it ended up having to be the first ever NXT UK Women's Champion that transitioned over to the US brand to, to be able to take her down. I mean, I don't think they had any other option but to do that because, like like you said, like she like she just powered through everybody. Because uh, I think that was a thing, Dave. There was, I don't think there was many points in the rain over this year other to myself, probably the point where 
Io Shirai took on took her on, that mm-hmm. I could actually see anybody beating her. Yeah, I think it, Io, Io Shirai was the person I had tipped to to beat her, especially that they had a trilogy of matches and the final one being in the steel cage where she turned heel on Candice LeRae. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I genuinely thought that was going to be the moment that Io would get it, but. Uh, again, I think it just goes to show they had a lot of faith in Shayna being the top heel of the women's division. Although I think it did present a problem in the way that like a lot of the a lot of the women on the NXT roster were turning heel this year because we had obviously Io turning and then War Games you had Dakota Kai turning heel as well. So it really sort of narrowed down the number of sort of face challengers who could take her on. But to be honest, I think Rhea Ripley was the only one left who probably would be the one to do it and as we saw from this week she she did manage it yeah something that would have pleased yourself sarah going back to our fantasy league you have Rhea ripley in your team i know thank you very much for you <laughs> <laughs> my number one pick as well she was my like she was a first round draft pick mm-hmm. for the women she's uh, only 20 she's only 23 as well i know i know it's, awesome. it's incredible uh in terms of shana royal rumble you think she'll be there oh yeah definitely yeah absolutely, uh, absolutely. there have been rumors that uh Shayna is either going to win the Royal Rumble or will go into a main program with maybe Becky Lynch. Right. See. Well, I'm, I'm thinking that, like, see, she actually has a pinfall victory over Bailey. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, unless they do, like, the push for Carmella, that they bring in Shayna Baszler to challenge Bailey at the Royal Rumble. Mm, mm. Maybe the better than Lacey Evans, to my opinion. I don't know. I think given what happened at the end of Survivor Series, it would make sense. It make more sense to go for Becky. Yeah, but Becky's in a current thing with Asuka again, so uh, that's probably going to be the Royal Women's title match. Which is why I think maybe Shayna could win the Royal Rumble instead. I think she could win it. I think it's a great, a great possibility. Uh, yeah, she, probably does. she probably will. I mean, it just means that Scott's going to get loads of points in this fantasy league, but... Mm. God dang it. That's the one. Well, the last thing he needs is another title win. I know. He's brought down a pick. But, uh, yeah, Dave, that was a good choice again. The year of Shayna Baszler. Thanks mm-hmm. for that. Uh, yep. Sarah, what's your next one? Um, now I will go for the obvious one. It is the women main eventing WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought, we, we thought you were going to pick that one first, but... No, it's yeah, a... that's why I said it's like that would have been my most obvious pick, but... Nah, I, like, I wanted to talk about NXT and Survivor Series, but the women main eventing WrestleMania, it was the one thing that made the entire year like this was the, that, that was the big talking point mm-hmm. especially for the first half of the year was Ronda like we, we actually speculated it last year like oh it's going to be Ronda and Charlotte and yeah they did kind of go with that plan except I don't think they anticipated how well Becky was going to get over from last year's Survivor Series mm-hmm. to and like they had no option again it was like they were backed into a corner but the three women still put on like a fantastic match. I mean, you're lucky that Becky and Charlotte know each other like inside and out that they could do a match on the fly and it would still be amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, the, the, this main event match is as historic and as grand as it was. Uh, WWE <laughs> nearly fumbled over a million and one times trying to get to this point, but they got there in the end in terms of the story. Uh, just forget about the crutches and all that aside, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to go. They had to. I think they just put a lot of hoops in front of them just to get to that point, and they didn't really need to. It was. It was quite a, a very straightforward, like storyline. Like all they had to do was just, like obviously Becky having the rebellious attitude. Now, I mean, it was good that they played on that, 
but at the same time, I can't help but wonder, would it, made, would it have made more sense just to have Ronda versus Becky one-on-one like they were supposed to at that year's Survivor Series? So it's, uh, I think they just sort of set up too many obstacles for themselves on the build to it when they really didn't need to. I think the, the idea of putting Charlotte in it was to play safe in case one of the two, one of them had a knock and that type of stuff and there's no better safe hand, Sarah, than Charlotte Flair on the, on the rain roster. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Charlotte is one of the best workers. Like she's probably, without a doubt, the best women's wrestler like that's going in WWE right now. So, and she is one of the safest workers. Like it is, it is quite rare to have someone get injured at, at her, like at her hands. I mean, I mean, Sarah, I'm going to bring this point up to you now. When we talk about the women main event in WrestleMania, yes. because the thing about it is, a lot of people have been critical of wrestling WWE in the past for how they've handled the women's division but when you look at how they've actually took it on it has been something else because an example in recent sports times as a time of recording is in the the World Darts Championships where we saw a woman in Fallon Shark uh, make it to the third round but that's took so long for a, a sport like that to embrace mm-hmm. you know women in it so you got to give uh, WWE some credit for how well they've done it I mean yeah I think I will give them credit where it's due. It's just I always feel that they have, to, that they feel like they have to play on the popularity of things because it's popular, mm-hmm. um, or because people are being very, very vocal about it. I mean, we talked about that earlier with Kofi. Like, was it just down to the fact that yes, race was maybe a part to play in it, and this it's like you can say the gender had a part to play in this as well, like. I don't know, it's always such a tricky thing that I, I kind of feel reluctant to give WWE credit mm-hmm. because I, I don't know what's going through their head. I don't know if it's like literally genuine or if they're just like, ah, oh, right, we'll get this over and done with so we don't have to deal with it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, what did you think of the match itself? I think the match itself was was decent. I mean, I mean, not to sort of take anything away, but I think there have been some main events which were better. But I think for what it was worth, and given the competitors involved with the story builds to it, I think I'd say it delivered. It was hard to kind of match the emotion that they had the other night with Kofi and Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that Kofi Mania just sort of popped out of nowhere and kind of just added another sort of feel-good storyline to it, it, def- it did take some of the attention away from it. But I think the fact that they sort of overcomplicated the women's main event, you know, by you know Charlotte winning the SmackDown women's title, like literally the week before, it just seemed a bit too convoluted by that point. But match quality itself, a couple of botches here and there, but overall, I think, right result and a fairly decent match. You think we'll ever see Becky versus Ronda one-on-one? I hope so. I think, yeah, I think we will. Sarah, what do you think? I would hope so, because it is still the match that everybody wanted and could never get. Mm. But right now Ronda wants to have a baby and I don't think Becky would feel comfortable hitting a pregnant woman yeah. oh you never uh, know the man the man's not against it <laughs> I mean given the result of the match as well like how it ended with Becky doing the crucifix and Ronda had the shoulder up there is a case to argue that you know Ronda could come back and say you didn't really beat me at Mania yeah it's there if they want it but we never know what we're going to see but no great it, 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 we couldn't have done our best in 2019 without talking about the historic uh, main event of Wrestlemania 35 I'm going to go with an event that happened a couple of months later, one that I thought shook the landscape of wrestling in 2019. I'm going to go with uh, Double or Nothing mm-hmm. from AEW. Dave, you're a, a, you've acknowledged the fact that you're a, 
a WWE NXT mark. Yep. What was your thinking of how this event uh, changed the landscape of wrestling? It was a big gap to fill, given that you know there's a lot of disgruntled fans who think the only place they can go is WWE. But with obviously the the introduction of AEW at the start of the year, like these big events, you know, double or nothing, all in, all out, you know, they had to deliver big. And with double or nothing, this definitely was a match that cemented AEW as a new promotion to to put eyes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sarah with um, this event double or nothing in May came it came five months after the initial announcement at the start of the year that AW were officially launched and they were gonna be obviously given an alternative to the WWE. Do you think that they were they handled the pressure really well in terms of how they presented this event from start to finish? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean that was that was the first event since they actually just ran uh, all in. So I think there was like there was a there was a huge amount of pressure leading into this because there there was like so many so many comments made about how it's going to be like groundbreaking, it's going to change the course of wrestling, like this, that and the next thing. And it gets you a little bit hyped up, but it kinda of makes you worried if it's not going to exceed expectations or if it's just gonna fall short. Mm-hmm. I think they did handle it very, very well, especially like with all their press conferences and doing like all the little skits on being the elite mm-hmm. really really helped but I think like ha- not having the weekly shows at that time kind of affected it a little bit because all their build up was on being the elite mm-hmm. yeah that that's kind of something that's maybe a bit of a criticism to them but if you kind of look at this one event say it again as a one off you've got a match in there in Cody versus Dustin oh, that ranks up there as one of the best they've had all year Mm. I loved that match. I loved it so much. I think, see when see when they announced it, I couldn't quite believe it because at first I didn't actually know that Dustin had left WWE. Mm-hmm. Like that that had been kept extremely quiet. So when it was like brother versus brother, and I was just like, when's the last time I saw something like that? And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But then when you watch the match itself, when have you ever seen a match with that much storytelling and emotion? Like it was proper brother versus brother. Like it's how you could imagine two brothers properly fighting. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dave, on the flip side of it, we had that was the the big match. But as the, the pay per view ended, we had a fantastic, amazing moment that we never thought we'd see. Uh, John Moxley coming from the crowd. Moxley, <laughs> Moxley. <laughs> like, and this was like literally a few weeks after we did his last booking with WWE. Mm-hmm. as Dean Ambrose like it was a it was a sh- probably the most shocking moment of the entire night and he was being heavily talked about you know where there was those vignettes being aired where he did that promo about Mox is coming back and this is what a lot of people this is what actually David Campbell was saying like back when this was happening that what if Dean Ambrose is going but he's technically staying with WWE and just coming back as John Moxley but I think that the other alternative was yeah he's, he's going to go to AEW I mean Dave you, as you mentioned earlier on you review the AEW shows weekly as part of the Wednesday Night Wars over on our Patreon channel that's do right you kinda, yeah. do you kind of get what Sarah said in the fact that not having the weekly shows so close to this outstanding pay-per-view is kind of the momentum's not quite been as, as, as much as it could have been yeah I think there have been issues I think it, there was a lot of hype over you know this is the this is finally we've got an alternative for wwe and i think 
they might have got their anticipation a little bit too high given how the weekly tapings have gone so far mm-hmm. although it might be a bit apprehensive with that given that it's only a few months old and it still needs to find its feet but I do feel like it's going to fall into a trap if it's not careful with a lot of other sports particularly sort of football for example because like say England football team for example they got to the semi-finals and you know fans were chatting it's coming home but then as soon as they go out the anticipation just dies so it's just it's just I don't want people to get ahead of themselves thinking that AEW is the is the holy grail alternative to WWE because it's still only a year old so and, it, and it's got a long way to go before it matches like a 30 plus year global conglomerate the size of WWE. Yeah, definitely. Well, like I say, this is the best of 2019 show. We're not going to start talking about the Dark Order or Brandy Rhodes promos, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the great stuff and I think Double or Nothing as a first pay-per-view it's very hard to top it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dave, I'll go back to you then. Yeah. What's, what's your next best moment of the year? Well, surprisingly, I'm going to jump back to NXT and I'm going to talk <gasps> about one of the best done rivalries, which I think we were going to get anyway, but we got a little bit sooner than anticipated because of an unfortunate injury. I'm talking about the feud between Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Forgotten Sons and Breezango. Ah, that was a great match. Yeah, uh, that was a close second. <laughs> but yeah, Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole, over the space of three takeovers, produced probably some of the absolute best matches, not just in NXT history, but of any matches I've ever seen across any promotions. Yeah, see, I, I talked earlier on about WWE doing some great work with their backs against the wall. The first match between Cole and Gargano at WrestleMania takeover this year. What an outstanding contest that was. Two out of three falls. I mean, I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite believe it. Like, it was beautiful. Just, it was sheer beauty. It was just that final fall. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yes. Speechless. 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 <laughs> I know one person's not speechless. That is David Hockney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I was... I mean, not to take anything away from NXT New York, because I was looking forward to seeing Champa Gargano 4 in what I imagine would have been a two out of three falls match or maybe a three stages of hell but you know what I think there, were, there was no better substitute than Adam Cole uh, you would say that <laughs> no 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 uh, honestly like Adam Cole is so talented in the ring and you know as, as much as I would have liked to have seen the end to the Johnny Gargano Champa feud like two out of three falls for the vacant title was I don't think there was any better way to decide it given that these two are arguably two of the best in the world hmm Sarah, I know you're quite a big fan of Johnny Gargano. Did you think it was it was right for him to have like a, a brief title reign and then to put the call in the middle of this rivalry? Definitely. I mean, I talked about this on quite a few of our takeover preview shows when Johnny Gargano's been involved, that he was this generation Sami Zayn of NXT mm-hmm. um, and that he was the, the literal heart and soul of that brand and like it got to the point that he had done absolutely everything that he can do apart from be that champion so to to at least put the belt on Johnny for just a little while still kept that prestige of the title before handing it and bringing it over to Adam Cole where like that was probably one of the original plans since he since he got signed mm-hmm. yeah I, I think the issue with um, Adam Cole was throughout most of his time in NXT he's kind of been re- revolved around this Gargano-Champa feud 
And I think that was kind of one of the things that probably didn't help Alistair Black when Alistair Black was champion. Mm. Because he was kind of playing second fiddle to Johnny and Tommaso. Yeah, no. I do, I do, I do agree with that, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dave, what was your favourite of the three matches? Oh, I'm glad you asked because I was literally just about to say. I think, <gasps> I think the best, pers- for me personally, was actually the, the match they had at TakeOver 25. Just the, the one fall to a finish. The one, where I, look- the one where Cole won the title. That's right, yeah. But not just because he won the title, because I think it was the best in terms of storytelling, but also drama and suspense. Because that match alone went on for 32 minutes. Like, 32 minutes on the dot. And looking at the other matches, there were both two out of three falls. The first one, uh, New York, 38 minutes, 41 seconds. And then the the three stages of hell, 46 minutes. Mm. Sarah, what would you go for between these three matches? Mm. Oh, I can't believe you're actually going to make me pick. I don't want to pick. you got to pick one. No. Stay off the no. fence. I don't want to. Okay. No, I, I would probably... <laughs> You're mean. Is this, like, is this like asking you to pick between your favourite dog? Don't even dare ask me to do that. Oh my god. Well, th- this is not as bad as that, so it makes you, that'll make you feel better. Mm, I, I would probably say, like, in terms of just Johnny Gargano and Adam Cole, I did actually, like, really enjoy the two out of three falls match. <laughs> it, was just all, it was just all, like, all the reversals here, like, Moonsault, super kicking, you're like, oh my god, it was. The drama, the drama. Yeah, Dave, I've got to agree with Sarah. I thought the three, two out of three faults match was brilliant, especially the there closing, it is. especially the closing fall. That was some of the best work I've seen all all year. This the, I mean, I like the I like the second one as well. I thought the third one it was good, but it maybe went on too long. Maybe a little bit, but you know what? It had a outstanding finish when they both flew off the top of the cage and through that table. That was that was mental. Yeah, Adam Cole is a crazy bugger. <laughs> oh yeah, like I mean, that's the second big cage bump he took that year. The other one being, of course, the the air raid siren from Champa in the War Games match. Oh, that was brutal. Oh, that was nuts. Mm-hmm. But no, a fantastic series, and it's definitely one you got to consider when you're talking best matches of the year. The mm-hmm. series between these three. Uh, Sarah, I'll go back out to you. What's your next? best moment I know like Dave's probably not going to be able to chat much about this but um, Wrestle Kingdom 13 right okay like I just it's I I started like looking forward to Wrestle Kingdom like more and more every single time like for just even from when we've been doing the podcast Mm -hmm. and it was that build up because like when you look at the match cards there is on paper it all looks amazing I mean you had Chris Jericho making his way to New Japan mm-hmm. I don't think anybody saw that coming to begin with so in like his match with Naito for the Intercontinental Championship mm-hmm. was one of the like one of the greatest matches I've ever seen mm-hmm. yeah uh, Dave <laughs> can, can, can you talk to us about the, the match between uh, Juice Robinson and Cody <laughs> <laughs> do you know what it was for not a clue but I will say I'll do my best AC impression here I think it was a good match <laughs> it was actually probably one of the worst matches on the card, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, it goes to show how much I'd watch uh, bloody New Japan. Funny enough, I got to hold that United States Championship not long before that happened. Yeah, Davey, Dave, at least I've got to have seen the elbow that Will Osprey did on Kota Bushi. 
You've noticed, you must have seen that video. I think I've seen a clip of it, but it's uh, I, I can't picture it off the top of my head. Oh, say that was an absolute brutal end to that match, wasn't it? For oh. the never <laughs> white title. <laughs> I don't think I ever want to see that again. David, you kind of lapsed him with an elbow. It's like from the back of the head. Ow! Like, yeah, the match basically gets like, yeah, it's just... It's like, a so it's, it's like a swinging back elbow. So it's not like, is it like uh, Cassius Ono? Oh, it's to the back? No, like, Abushi's like on his knees. Oh. And like, Osprey runs from the corner, like, a swinging back elbow to the back of his head. Ow! Like, oh, <laughs> that, that's how it's sort of think about. <laughs> uh, but Sarah, one of the most significant things about this one is we, uh, this was maybe not expected that we saw, uh, this was Kenny Omega's final stand in New Japan. Yeah, well, I think this is probably what made it more monumental because it was not long before that that, you know, AEW had been announced and we're like, what's going to go in here? What's going to go in here? What's Cody going to be doing? Because, like, like what's Cody going to do? What's the Elite going to do? What's Kenny going to do? Kenny was that big talking point, though, because we had already knew that Cody and the Bucks were gone. Like, they were not going to be competing for New Japan exclusively from here on out but Kenny was still another up in the air because there was a whole he's going to get signed with WWE he's wanting to continue like staying in Japan this sort of stuff so I think like that that match against Tanahashi was a great way to go out though Mm -hmm. Dave I will talk to you about Kenny Omega obviously as again talking about from AEW perspective Um, what have you made of the, mat, the best bout machine who's had all these great matches across the pond in Japan how do you think he's actually transitioned to a weekly TV um, honestly I think there was a, I saw a tweet uh, I think it was either yesterday or the day before and I think we shared this in the discussion and to be honest I actually agree I think Kenny Omega has been booked in AEW a weekly TV show in the same way that WWE would have probably booked him had he signed with WWE because there was a lot of anticipation around the fact that his New Japan contract was coming to an end and he'd probably go to one of the two brands, the two promotions. But I'm not surprised he ended up in AEW. I think it's just the way he's been booked. You know, he seems much more like a sort of upper mid-card guy rather than a main eventer, which I find really disappointing because, you know, we've all talked about how much, like, talent the guy has and how he's been putting on literally matches of the year against like you know Tanahashi and uh, Okada I, I just feel a little bit a little bit disappointed so do you think he's maybe he's kind of been see because he's so like he's like a, a VP of the company you think he's not wanting to kind of put himself over too much and he's just kind of like the other trying to make the other guys look great oh, better absolutely I mean if anyone knows Kenny Omega he he knows how good he is but he's still one of the most humble wrestlers I think in the scene today but at the same time he is probably the best wrestler or at least in, in the top three of most people's top wrestlers in the world so oh yeah no absolutely, absolutely. he maybe should be a bit less he maybe should be a bit more selfish in that manner I mean you would think so but like I kept, like, like I said I just said like he is one of the most humble people ever mm-hmm. and he, he's got his he's got his head on his shoulders so I think it was sort of like yes I am part of like the executive deciders of the company and I've signed these people. I don't want to make it all about me. I don't want to make it all about the elite. I don't want to make it all about, you know, all about us. Because yeah, it is called All Elite Wrestling mm-hmm. and it is basically run by the elite, but it's not for the elite. 
And right. I think that's why he's he's more interested in putting other people over and excelling them, saying, I want people to watch this stuff instead of because I think if they had made it all about themselves, people would switch off like that. I mean, going back onto the Wrestle Kingdom, Sarah, uh, you mentioned about all this, we mentioned there about Omega and the, and the Elite, obviously. This was kind of the last U Japan appearance. It was also the last uh, big appearance in U Japan for Kushida. And it's probably hopefully the last time on a big event we'll see Gorillas of Destiny take on Sanada and Evil. Because um, <laughs> I've done that to death. Um, Hell, that, that, so that, that'll just keep... That's, that's a basically a fight for everything. Well, they're not fighting this year's one. Uh, did you see... Somewhere down the road they will. Could you see this as like a changing of the guard event for U Japan? Yeah, definitely. I think like the, I think for a while, everybody relied on the fact that they had at the time they were like Bullet Club, like mm-hmm. and all the, the different changes. And then when that all went away, and you've got like the the like, I wouldn't even call it the OG, but yeah, like Tama Tonga, etc. They were all kind of there to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, that they've now they can now focus on a fresh bit of talent to come through or at least focus on like their own guys and get something a bit fresh because it had just been focusing around Cody, it had been focusing around the Young Bucks, it had been focused around Omega, like one of like the very few that it had been focused around was like Hangman, Adam Page, uh, Marty Scarl, etc. Mm-hmm. So now like coming up for like next year's Wrestle Kingdom, I mean, Kota Ibushi, he's in his own singles match, but this is like over two nights now for mm-hmm. next year, so it's a change for the better, I think. Mm-hmm. Dave, who's your one to watch for you, Japan, next year? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just say Will, I'll just say Will Ospreay. Ah, wise choice, wise choice. Well, at least he's there, so that's a good start. <laughs> but, no, that was definitely worth talking about, uh, Sarah, even to Dave's dismay. I actually thought you, if you were going to pick anything, you were going to pick the final of the, of the Super Juniors, but... <laughs> No. no, you went for went for Wrestle Kingdom instead. Uh, I went for Wrestle Kingdom. So I'm going to go back to something that Dave might like talking about a bit better. Uh, it's the beginning of the Wednesday Night Wars. Mm. I'm going to see this. This is something that I didn't think I would have seen anytime soon in wrestling again. But uh, Dave, you've not talked for a good seven minutes there. Uh, I'm, 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 sort of, I'm sort of coming in bits and bobs, so I'm just contributing wherever I can. Um, he tried. When uh, AEW was rumoured at this point last year, they were filing trademarks apparently for Tuesday Night Dynamite. So when it was oh, announced God. that they were going to go, when they announced that it was going to be on Wednesday nights, mm. what was your instant thoughts? Oh, idiot move! <laughs> because uh, you know NXT had probably announced a deal with uh, like the USA Network to start in October as well, and this was a full two weeks at least before Dynamite started tapings on Wednesday as well. And I think we discussed this on sort of halfway throughout 2019 as well. Like, and we were really in the debate about this. Like, this was a probably one of the dumbest decisions that AEW could have made. Like, there were so many other days they could have uh, chosen. Like, Tuesday Night Dynamite was a free day because SmackDown was moving to Fridays on Fox. And Raw had obviously Monday night and then Wednesday with NXT. Thursday, you could have fitted it in with maybe NXT UK or maybe some other promotion. But Tuesday night was there for the taking, and the reason they didn't do it is, is I don't know, is beyond me. See, Sarah, Dave's came up with one side of the argument that we hear. There's the other side from is of uh, the counter-programming argument in terms of 
uh, people saying that NXT went made the decision to go to USA at that point and made the decision to go two hours purely down to AEW. What was your what's your thinking on that? Because uh, you know me, I hate the, I hate the counter programming arguments. Yeah, no, because I I, I I did I did say that I was in total agreement with you, Stephen. Like when we kept saying counter programming, you're like, this has been the plan all along. It's just maybe they pushed it forward. Oh, they pushed it forward. I'm not going to deny that. Ah, no, they definitely pushed it forward, but you can't say that they did it just because of that I mean they probably pushed it forward because of that but the deal was already there you know they yeah, were gonna the they were gonna go to USA there. Network anyway yeah mm. that's the point that's the point I made Dave I, that that's uh, USA deal has been rumoured for a good two or something years mm-hmm. yeah but they've never pushed the button on it but one thing you got to admire David is um, the ratings that AEW Dynamite got to start with I believe if it was was it about 1.4 million they drew in their first week I believe so, yeah. There were at least uh, one and a half million. Mm-hmm. Would you have expected to get anywhere near that? Obviously, you thought it was a strange move for them going to Wednesday, but this whole uh, first week rating maybe justified their decision? Um, I don't know. I, I think for a fresh new company, one that's not, you know, the the sort of first choice for a lot of people, particularly like families and stuff who have been so used to WWE, I think one and a half million for an opening, opening show on Dynamite uh, or sorry, or TNT rather. I think it's actually a pretty solid opener. And given that you know it was beating NXT in the ratings for the first six to eight weeks, I mean, it shows that there was a lot of interest in the product. Well, one thing, Sarah, we can all agree on is uh, competition has created quality. And both shows, for the majority of the weeks that we've seen this battle go on on Wednesday nights. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, because it's 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 basically been like right. You bring your best guys, I'll bring my best guys, and we'll we'll just have like a wee dance off or something mm-hmm. to see. Like that's basically what it is each week, and they keep bringing out the best in each other because competition is healthy. It's when people start getting complacent that's when you need to be careful. Because we all saw what happened this week, like in terms of the ratings, that like, NXT blew AEW out of the water. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when it came to the ratings this week because like me and David discussed on that Wednesday Night War show that they were bringing everything to the table it's like we've got two championship matches going on in this one we've got the tag team championships are going to be on AEW it was like it was that sort of thing but I, th- I think AEW could have done a lot better like this week in terms of just trying to bring in the viewers because that's when you, you do wonder did they get complacent or did they get cocky and think that they were just because they had ran away with the ratings so far that they were just going to continue doing so well if you kind of look at the swing you know last that recent show there we had about 600,000 uh, can't in the exact number for Dynamite compared to that 1.5 million is the drop worrying at all or do you still think or do you think they may be going to find a, a fit a placing somewhere in mid between that and the million mark I mean I would hope so I would hope that the that this is just like a one-off mm-hmm. because you don't know if like the people watching like I don't know how they actually like determine ratings as if they watch from start to finish or if they switch over mm-hmm. because like you never know that these people that were watching NXT for the ratings getting collected they could have been watching the start of AEW like you know what I'm no I'm not feeling this mm-hmm. switch over to USA. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what was that, what actually happened. I mean, I, I personally preferred NXT this week just because, you know, well, not just because Rio won, but that's <laughs> it, it was just the fact that they they 
put everything into this last show of the year. Whereas I think AEW was just like, you know, we're just going to take a step, a step back. Mm-hmm. And uh, David, as much as um, the WWE product does get criticism, the way NXT's bounced back, you got to take give credit to them how well they've kind of they've not overreacted too much to that initial rating, and they've just kind of went on them with their business. Honestly, NXT has come leaps and bounds with this big change as well, and. Mm-hmm. Just to touch on something that Sarah said just briefly as well, that competition's healthy, but you know, the AEW is getting complacent and a bit cocky. When you start criticizing the other the other brand, the other competition, that's when you start to lose viewers. Because I would rather see like if a if a show wants to do well, let it do let it do its thing without openly acknowledging that, you know, there's another company that may be doing just as well, if not better, than you. Because then it shows there's no distractions and you're only focused on making your product better. But, um, you know, despite the, the whole sort of ratings gap, you know, why are people even complaining about who's better between NXT or AEW? Just just watch what you enjoy. Yeah, and, there's, two, there's two good programs to choose from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when for it comes, the most part. And TV ratings aren't the be-all and end-all as well because, you know, it, it's, 20, it's 2019, about to go into a new decade. We're basically all digital and on social media how many people do you think will probably watch it like once it's been re- once well, it's been like pre-recorded or something or they'll watch clips of it online or on the network you got to that's you need to consider as well NXT's on the network you know how many the major, a lot of people would think right AEW's going to be on there I can watch it then but I can watch NXT anytime in the next week yeah and obviously we don't have the USA network over here because we're in Scotland so the only place we can really watch NXT is on the network yeah, exactly. But I think it's fair to say there's two good programmings, you know. Uh, if I was to give my opinion on this week's uh, NXT would probably be better because it didn't have subliminal messages from the Dark Order in the first match. <laughs> what are you talking about? It worked on me. I am now part of the Dark Order. Oh, no. no, uh, no. <laughs> were, you that, were you that person throwing the punches on Dustin? Or uh, lack thereof? I'm uh, sorry. I was kind of, you know, sitting in my house in Trinenda that time. That's going to... Yeah, hey, difficult. I've, I've not mastered time travel or transportation yet. Yeah, you probably you probably get closer to punching them from there than that guy does. <laughs> I probably actually. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm supposed to be impartial here for hosting the Wednesday Night Wars, but NXT absolutely dominated this week, and the ratings show that as well. I thought AEW was okay for the most part. To be fair, I, know, no, I enjoyed AEW. No, NXT yeah. is working brilliantly at the minute. You know, it's hyping people weeks in advance of what to expect. Like they'll tell you when title matches are happening. And if they see a superstar is naturally getting over, uh, case in point, Keith Lee, they'll capitalise on it. It's a bad week to say that, Dave, because Keith Lee wasn't on this week's show. But <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's move away from the, the Men's Night Wars then, and we'll go on to David again. We yep. should have time for at least one more moment. So, Dave, what have you got next? Let, let's go a little bit closer to home, shall we? You're going, you're going Scottish again? Yep. Oh, and wow. I'm going to pick out another major event from ICW this year. And, Sarah, I'm glad you mentioned... Kushida earlier on when we were discussing New Japan because I think if Square Go was summoned to behold, then this was either on par, if not better. Shugs, who's party this year? I love Kushida. Yeah. Oh, what a moment. Like, we were supposed to get Just Justice Jackie Polo in his sort of final stint as Just Justice going against Jeff Jarrett. But, you know, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise when Jarrett couldn't show up. So instead, we get Kushida. Yeah, I think that was a fine, a fine moment, Sarah, to see because she's alive in the flesh. Oh, I was so happy. Not given the fact that, like, you know, I nearly got battered by Kushida when he was like jumping out of the ring. 
Like, I, I had to get dragged away <laughs> because I knew I had a Kushida on top of me. <laughs> Were you not singing Jackie Polo's theme as well when he was coming out? I mean, yeah, because it's a banging song. It is a banging song, is yeah. That, is that not the theme from Nashville? Or it yes, was a theme it from is. Nashville? That's how I know it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I knew it. <laughs> Fair play to them getting the rights to that song. I know, right? Mm, yep. Uh, uh, but that was a great moment as well. But, uh, Sarah, we also had it. We talked about Mel on the show. Yeah. yeah. Your man from Edinburgh, Liam my Thompson, boy. finally getting his big moment, beating, my, jo- beating Joe Coffey. My boy, my boy, I was like, my, well, he's not my boy, but like you know, my hometown, my hometown boy, Liam finally getting that win over Joe because like that had been building up since at least the start of the year. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone kept speculating that Rudo was going to cash in his square goal on the Zero G champion mm-hmm. instead of cashing in on Lionheart, and you're like, wait, what? Huh? Yeah, there was talking. He was teasing to cash in on the Zero G Championship at the start of the year. I thought you could only cash in on the World Champion. You can cash in on anyone you want. Yeah, does not specify. I thought it was specifically for the World Championship. No, No, that's just because that's what everyone tends to go for. Dave, Dave, Dave brings up a Scottish moment, and then knows nothing about said Scottish. Yeah, but yes, that was just a briefcase I didn't know about. That was all. (laughs) No, like that build up has started um, back up in Aberdeen. Very specifically, I do remember that. Um, and I, when when it was like Liam came out, and I was just like, "Please, please, please, let Liam challenge for the zero G because he has been able to pin Joe Coffee before." And that I was just like, "This needs to happen." Yeah. Liam has never held a single title. It was a f- fine moment. It was amazing. Uh, probably happy. probably matched the entire weekend, I'd say. Well, oh, Dave. No. There was a, uh, one man who had an outstanding weekend. That one is a man that has hair that oh, me and you both wish we could have in Leighton Buzzard. <laughs> I mean, fair play to Leighton Buzzard as well. He had, a, he had a breakout weekend that weekend because who was it? it was it, he defeated Joe Hendry on the first night, right? Mm-hmm. And then James Storm on the second. And then James Storm on the second. I mean, two massive wins over the space of that weekend. Leighton Buzzard has become arguably one of the most over guys in ICW but I think I'm just a bit baffled that he didn't get a big win at Fear and Loathing weekend against Kieran Kelly and Noam Dar yeah his 0G win at last weekend's uh, final fight club of the year kind of came out of nothing yeah I think he's he's had a very sort of mixed bag with booking like very sort of inconsistent but character wise and talent wise you could tell he was he was going somewhere Oh, he's fantastic! He is fantastic. He's a very, very quality wrestler. Um, Sarah, also the, another fantastic moment from the weekend as came as we closed out the show of Shugs mm-hmm. was the the return of Stevie Boy to take on Wolfgang. Stevie! Oh my God! It's, what, Stevie! You know, Sarah, what a pop he got! Absolutely. I mean, there was so much speculation because like they kept it so quiet. Everyone should have seen this coming because. They had publicly put out on Twitter that Stevie and Wolfgang were running the GPWA class the night before the weekend that like started, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone clicked. They were like, "Hold up a minute!" Like they they used that time before and after the classes to put that match together. Like no one actually clicked, and I didn't even click until like I think about a couple of weeks later. I went, "Hold up a minute!" It was. It was very well done the way his return was kind of done with first Kaylee coming out and then the Kings of Catch coming out. 
I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been mad if it was Kaylee. Like, I would have. I, I would have wanted to see Kaylee Ray versus Wolfgang. Oh yeah, what yes, Kaylee had by the way. Eric, oh, okay. UK Women's Champion. Yeah, pretty while, we, while, we, while we're on the topic of her, absolutely fantastic year for her. We've not seen that coming at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, it's, it's, it was a, it's, it was great to see Stevie get back in the ring and obviously winning the championship at the first attempt. Mm-hmm. It was an, it, probably one of the best uh, shugs. I mean, the last year's shugs was great, but this year's one was probably up there as one of the top events of the year. Oh yeah, no, my, my favourite two ICW events are always the Square Go and Shugs House Party. Mainly just because, like, the square goal, it's like, again, my favourite event is the Royal Rumble. I don't think you'd love like, the Rumble. At, it's like my favourite match of all time is the Royal Rumble. So that's why I love the square goal. But Shugs, I don't know what it is that it's always an absolutely magical weekend. Like, it blows everything. Like, I actually keep considering that the biggest show of the year instead mm-hmm. of Fear and Loathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, me, for me, it's got to be Money in the Bank. Like, you know, I, I just like a ladder match, and I'm kind of pleased that we got like a, a TLC match at Shugs that year between the the three teams with Kings of Catch, uh, the Nine Nine, and the Johnny Storm and Jody Fleisch. Well yes. done, well done, David. Yep. But honestly, that I think the the spot of that TLC match was when I think it was Jack Morris did the shooting star press off the top of a ladder through the yeah. table. Like, oh my, we were literally like like meters away from seeing that happen and, and it was such a good spot and he does it and he does it so flawlessly as well oh yeah leaps like a salmon <laughs> <laughs> fantastic no Jack's a good guy you can hear the interview with him on our back catalogue yep cheap plug well done Dave absolutely uh, so there Dave giving two Scottish moments yeah that. Sarah we'll go back to you but it's going to be your next one I know I'm actually completely shocked with Dave Right, with two Scottish one, considering he didn't even know what ICW was last year. Hey, I, I, I can say I can say that because I went to both events this year, and I'm quite pleased with that. And also, fear and loathing. True. Well done, Dave. Um, yeah, I was like, because I've got a toss up between two of them. I think it's just because, like, I want to just quickly mention one, but then I'm going to talk about the other. Okay. So, like the one I do want to mention is the G1 Supercard because it was the first non-WWE event to sell out Madison Square Garden Gardens. Yep. So, yeah, right. I'll, I'll just sit in the corner while you two discuss that. Well, okay, I'm not going to discuss it like that. That is just very, very notable because that's the first non-WWE event to sell out that arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one I do want to talk about is the best of 2019 has to come and you've got to talk about like we've talked about the first ever women's main event of WrestleMania. You can't really not talk about women wrestling in Saudi Arabia for the first time. Mm. Good, good, yeah, good great call. shout. Good call, I mm. did not have that on my list for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I completely forgot about it. I'm not gonna well, lie. I mean, the Saudi, <laughs> the Saudi shows haven't exactly, you know, captured the imagination of yeah. diehard fans. But, Dave, you got to say, one of the things WWE have actually said since the early days of the Saudi deals that this was kind of their goal and a lot of people were like nah you're just doing it for the money do you think they've kind of changed some people's thinking by actually getting one of these matches through definitely because you know as you do you kind of have to sort of keep up to date with all the events you know the crown jewels the super showdowns uh, and I was very apprehensive going into this crown jewel event because we're just thinking oh it's going to be a bit, of a bit of a money grab we'll get a few sort of dead end feuds that'll just go on for show the fact that 
you know, we actually got a women's match, which may or may not happen because it had only been announced at kind of like the last minute mm-hmm. between Natalia and Lacey Evans. It was probably one of the most feel-good moments of the entire year. Like the women were treated like proper superstars. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah, what was the what was your thinking on the choice of Natalia and Lacey Evans for the match? Do you think they were, they were, they were the two perfect ones to go with? I mean, Natalia definitely. Lacey was a bit of a a confusing one, I think. But when you, when you do look at it, I mean, she was considered quite groundbreaking when it came to like you know being in like the what was it the Marines or the Navy that she was in? I think it was the Marines. Yeah, it was the Marines, and like they very very heavily touched on that when she first started in NXT. But Natalia, it made so much sense I mean one person that has always been so outspoken about women in wrestling and the push for it is Natalia I mean I think I think that it was it was centred for Natalia at the moment so I think the choice of Lacey Evans personally is Lacey Evans could have went there and have lost to Natalia whereas if you put somebody like Becky Charlotte Sasha yeah. you know it might not four horsewomen that would have been pointless yeah mm. you wouldn't, I don't think they wanted to take them over and kind of have them lose so mm-hmm. I think that's why they would have went for somebody like Lacey who they've kind of seen they think quite highly of in the company so and she could have went out there and lost not a problem mm. yeah yeah it was um, it was definitely a safe bet considering you know they didn't want to harm the credibility of any of, the, of their top stars but it was a big year for Natalia in particular given that you know she inducted her dad into the Hall of Fame as well and I think she's been one of those superstars who's been highly underappreciated this entire year. Someone who's been in the who's been with WWE for over a decade now, but she never has had that sort of star-making moment. And I think this this was the moment for her. Uh, and also as a result, I think Lacey Evans sort of went through a bit of a a face turn in the process as well. Not just because of you know it was a, a history-making moment, but the way. You know, she was then drafted to SmackDown, and now is in a program with Sasha and Bailey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I think it was definitely. If you were going to turn the face, this is the best time you've done it. Yeah, definitely. And there was also, but it's not the first time they've had a women's match in the Middle East either, because uh, we had Sasha and Alexa Bliss in mm-hmm. so in the United Arab Emirates. But yeah. obviously, they're, they're two different countries and love different, you know, laws and ideologies. So you can't really sort of argue that. You know, it, just because it's a similar region, they, you, can't, you can't assume they all have the same laws. It was a house show as well, that one as well. This was actually a big yeah, this, yeah, big this televised, yeah. But I think the idea of, you know, having them in full body suits and the t-shirts as well, I think that was probably the best way they could have done it. Do you think, the, do both of you think, well, this will be the last we see a women's match in Saudi Arabia? you think we'll see this more frequently as these events happen over the years? I mean, it'll, it'll take a little while longer to maybe feature them as often. I think like it took them a long time to get this one match, and like even though like you saw the emotion, like this is what I, I was actually sitting crying at this moment. Like I I know I know everyone jokes that I cry like all the time, but this was like a proper emotional moment. I mean, this was the first time ever that actually meant something in terms of progression, mm-hmm. like in my eyes, um, because this wasn't just just doing it for the label of it. But this was doing it because it meant so much to so many people. I mean, you saw women in the crowd crying. You saw Natalia crying. You saw Lacey crying. You see some guys even crying as well. Like, mm-hmm. just trying to hide the tears because you never know what might have happened to them. But, yeah, I think that's... It will still take 
a little bit more. I mean, they can't go backwards from this. I mean, it, it might just take a wee while longer to maybe have another women's match. Um, but as, I think as long as like, they keep going, well, you know what? This got a really good reception. This made us look really good. Maybe we can think about adding one women's match, even if it is like on the pre-show, it's still there. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think if you're going to put another women's match, you've got to put it on the main card. You can't just scuffle away to the pre-show because at the same time, that's still a step backwards from, you know, because Natalia and Lacey got on the main the main card. So put on the pre-show is still a bit of a step back. But what I would like to see in the next, maybe maybe not next year, but the following year, I could, I could see a women's championship match happening in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I could see it. Oh, yeah, it, again, again, it'll just take time. They can't rush it, you know. They've they've just got to take baby steps with it, you know, because the year before they were hoping to get a women's match on the card, but this time around, you know, they were able to. So again, it's all just about you know slowly making progress and just taking baby steps with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So now it's time for my my final moment, and it was something that saw us see various colourful characters evolve. We got the likes of uh, Mercy the Buzzer, the Rambling Rabbit, <laughs> and then we ended up getting the absolute scary-ass character I've ever seen. It was the repackaging <laughs> of Bray Wyatt. Yeah. And, the yeah. and the birth of the Fiend. <laughs> Probably uh, the best character reinvention WWE's ever done. Well, Dave, let's, um, let's start with you on this one. Um, when you first seen the first Firefly Funhouse segment. Yeah. What were you thinking they were doing with Bray Wyatt at this point? I honestly thought they were going to turn him into a, like a comical children's TV presenter sort of gimmick because he you know, obviously had his all his, his puppet pals and it was like something you. I think one of the comments I mentioned when I first saw it was this is like something I'd be watching on CBBS because he's that it's that childish. You see somebody get their heads taken off of a chainsaw on CBBS. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that, but but then once I saw more of it, like. I start to think, oh wait a minute, this could have a really dark twist to it, and it reminds me of those that YouTube series where it's like, uh, "Don't hurt me, I'm scared," where it has a sort of very sort of cartoony, puppety sort of. It looks kid friendly, but then as it goes on, it slowly gets much more dark and a lot more sinister, and I think that's kind of what happened. And then when you see when you see Bray say, "Let me in," then then it just morphs into this scary mask wearing like demon with the 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 mask and everything it's just it's terrifying right sarah you are the this podcast's second biggest finn balor fan (laughs) um did you fear for finn when he was put in with the fiend as the fiend's first big rivalry absolutely i think like it was also the fact that they weren't even going near him with the demon at this point, I mean, it just kind of, well, it just it did find it kind of feel like the match that they were meant to have, you know, Bray Wyatt is just like as Sister Abigail and Finn Balor is a demon, like like cause that was happening. Like it only took a couple of years to get there. Mm-hmm. We, like we didn't know what was going to happen, but you know, I, I feared for Finn Balor because I was like, this this is like some scary shit. And, yeah, yeah, no, I mean. I mean, Dave, you mentioned a lot of aspects to it. Have you seen a better re-debuting of any sort of character than what we saw at SummerSlam with The Fiend? Absolutely not. Because I remember we were watching SummerSlam live at yours. Yeah. And 
this, I think this was probably the most anticipated match of the entire card. Not just because of the match itself, but because we would finally get to see The Fiend. And I think when, you know how they do those watch-alongs with WWE with the talent that aren't on the card? Like, Johnny, Gar Johnny, Gargano, yeah, yeah. Johnny Gargano's reaction just summed it up. Like, it was just eyes open, jaw dropped. And honestly, it's just all these little details that, you know, that Bray sort of put into it. It, it, it just, it worked so damn well. But I think the scariest bit especially was when he had the the lantern converted into the old sort of de decapitated head of Bray Wyatt with the eyes sewn shut, the lights in his mouth. And it's, oh, that was just, that was just scary to look at. It was disturbing. Yeah. I mean, Sarah, it's amazing how just how chalk and cheese the feeding character is from the fun-loving Bray Wyatt and the Firefly Funhouse. He just loves to, you know, talk to Rambling Rabbit all the time. I love it. I mean, at first, when they kept, like when they did like the wee vignette of just Mercy the Buzzard, and we're like, right, okay, this is clearly something to do with Bray Wyatt because like follow the buzzards and you know all this sort of stuff. But then when it came to like the Firefly Funhouse, like it it does remind you of like Bray Wyatt and as being like a children's TV presenter. Like that's how you're just like sitting there going. Uh, okay, this is kind of creepy. Like, as an adult, you're going to think this is creepy, but as a child, you're not going to know any better. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be like, this is amazing, this is fun. And I mean, then when it just turns and you're like, oh my God, nope, that, you find it deeply disturbing. At, um, this, at this point, oh, it's like night and day. So it just makes you go, it just makes you wonder how bloody good is Bray Wyatt? It's mm -hmm. like, is he, is he that good or is he a little bit deranged? I mean, at this point, I'd like to give a special mention out to the, the Twitter account Wrestling Jeebus, who take great disappointment and sadness every time that Rambling Rabbit died in a Fire 5 Funhouse segment. Mm. I think he wants Rambling Rabbit merch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was <laughs> really... Rabbit deserves better. Yeah, I remember uh, I wrote an article about the, the arrival of The Fiend and how, you know, he should be booked going forward, but I was thinking if they were going to really up the ante with it, you know, have... You know that they have with Power Forward in ICW, it was just guys in masks or the Dark Order in AEW. Why didn't they just have, like, uh, maybe developmental talent coming out in sort of scary masks depicting the Fred, the puppet pals from the Funhouse? Kind of like Five Nights at Freddy's almost. Yeah, but are you, you are making comparisons to two of the most disappointing gimmicks of the year. <laughs> yeah, and Power Forward and the Dark Order. I mean, WWE. I mean, ironically, WWE could have been the ones that actually got it right. But I mean, but it's all these little nods to like classic horror films as well, because you had the you had the the mask on as well. You know, you can depict that with like any serial killer. You had the the red and black striped tights, which is like a tribute to Beetlejuice, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And there's just so many little knots. And obviously with the entrance as well, the the writing of Let Me In is in the style of It, the clown. Yeah. It's just little things like that. You know, it's, oh, there's that and there's that. It's it's like a whole, the whole Firefly Funhouse universe. It's like a horror movie when it's turned inside out. I mean, we now have the added element now of Bray or The Fiend as the Universal Champion. Are you any he's got any worry now, a couple of months into his reign, that this is too soon for the character to have this championship on? I mean, mm, it's it's kind of difficult to tell. I think like if they if they'd done it in a way that like yeah the fiend won it, 
but Bray Wyatt's the one that gets to play with the belt. It's just like, there you go, there's a good little boy, sit in the Firefly Funhouse and play with his belt. That would be more creepy. Oh my God, I'm freaking myself out now. Yeah, I think they had to strike while the iron was hot because he was the most over superstar in the entire company by that point. Although, I think we did get that really disappointing finish at Hell in the Cell because of, I don't know whether Vince just got cold feet or maybe they thought it was too much too soon with The Fiend, but I suppose they did rectify it somewhat when they did it at Crown Jewel, but I think definitely having the Universal title on him is probably, at this stage, the right thing to do because you've kind of got dual personalities holding the Universal title now because Bray's obviously got the, the shiny new blue belt because you can't have a red belt on a blue brand. And you've got the fiend with his weird, with his basically the title with his face on it. Yeah, that's just pointless. Yeah, they've got two versions of the title, but all we've seen really so far is is the blue one. Yeah, definitely. But no, the fiend was a great character to debut in twenty nineteen. So we've went through so many great moments here in twenty nineteen. I'm going to put you on the spot now before we finish the show, and I want you to pick out your number one moment of twenty nineteen. Dave, I'll start with you because Sarah will probably go back and forward on a bit. <laughs> uh, does it have to be a moment or a match? Yeah. Moment of the match, you pick. You know what? I'm going to stick with my guns here. I'm going to go with the Gargano Cole feud over NXT takeovers. Interesting. Sarah, what are you going to go for? I mean, I'm going to go for one that I've not even talked about. <laughs> You're going to pick something you didn't pick? All right, okay, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, I think it's just because of the comical, but it was just Chris Jericho with a little bit of the bubbly. Oh my god. That sums up 2019. <laughs> oh, a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> a little bit of the bubbly. I <laughs> know, oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about that either. That's on my list of Jericho losing his, like, getting his belt stolen, so. <laughs> oh, the ones I've got in my list that we didn't go through were the early days of the 24 7 title and Marty Skrull showing up at NWA. Yeah, I was going to even say the return of NWA. Or Becky's, Becky's Rumble one. Mm. Yeah, all great moments. What's some of the ones you didn't have? Dave, what's some of the ones in your list still? Just go through them. Uh, good housekeeping. Ah, yes. Yep. Which one? Oh, that's the thing. I was going to say... Third one. Third yeah, one third, this year. Yeah, Fear and Loathing, definitely. That was... <gasps> a, especially with the cast of Burniston getting involved. Oh, no. My favourite good housekeeping was number... It's the second one. Yeah, that, was last year. No, no, that was last year. Uh, there was also... Was that last year? Uh, yeah, it was last year. King of Insanity tag team match. Too much. You got a lot of Scottish things in here, Dave. Yeah, I know. Oh. Like on it, but some of those spots as well, like Wolfgang swantoning the washing machine, and then I think it was, was. Lewis Gervin getting thrown into the monster cans. Aspen Faith. Oh, it was Aspen, it was right? Aspen. He got a poison ran on. Lewis the... doesn't take bumps. What are you talking about? Oh, but th- no, that monster can. <laughs> I'll never get that monster can spot in my head. Like that was just. Oh, I was I was wincing at that. But yeah. As, as we can clearly see, there's so many great moments in 2019. I'm going to go with Kofi Mania for my favourite. Yeah. Uh, 2019 was a good year for wrestling. Yes, and so there is so many. I mean, we've probably not touched upon so many of them. So if you've got any moments from, from 2019 that you thought were the best of the year that we've mentioned or ones that we've not mentioned, please interact with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at SuplexRetreat and please tell us what was your favourite moment from 2019. You may have enjoyed a Dark Order segment. That's okay. <laughs> I didn't. But <laughs> Sorry, enjoy- I-, I thought you were trying to say that with a straight face. I want to be successful. I've joined the Dark Order. <laughs> I want to see what would happen, but sadly, nothing has happened. 
Like, they wanted my Twitter handle. They wanted my email address. And I've not had anything yet. But do they want your bank account? And they're going to ask, going to transfer you one billion rupees or something? Wow. Wow. I get there, I know. Wow. I mean, if it, if you're going to give me 100, 000, like 100 rupees, then, you know, fire away. But, <laughs> but no, if, if, please let us know what your favourite moments of 2019 are. Seriously, if you did like a Brandy Rhodes promo, I'm, I'm, I'll listen to you. And give me an example. They've not, they've not been horrible. They've just um, been intriguing. Oh Jesus! Uh, might just be my taste. It's, anyway. the, it's, it's the Stray Edge Society 2.0. <sighs> in all fairness, I'll, I'll, I'll balance it out and say if you found a good thing to do with the Forgotten Sons, again, tell me too. <laughs> For a good thing to do with Mojo Rawley. Uh, him getting hit with a pipe by Kevin Owens. There you go. Uh, but yes, that has been our best of 2019 show. Again, if you've enjoyed this show. <laughs> Please uh, subscribe to us on any good podcasting sites of your choice and listen to all our great back catalogue and our new stuff coming in 2020. And if you want to hear even more from us, we have a Patreon channel, which we have some more free content on as well, but we are also offering content from $4 a month. You can get so much great stuff on that channel. Next week's show is going to be the first one of 2020 where we're going to be giving our wrestler of the decade. So that should be an interesting one. And I'm going to gather as much of the podcast's opinions as possible on that and we're going to get a, <laughs> a race like a, an overall top one so we could see some obvious ones we could see some less obvious ones we could see the Dark Order in there not with that <laughs> <laughs> I will make sure of it now I'd like to thank my guest this week first uh, Sarah vote jam sandwich <laughs> oh god and, uh, and David <laughs> team dressing gown <laughs> I agree with dressing gown. Yeah, dressing gown. <laughs> good. Is yeah, okay, good, 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 good. How dare they say that we're like? What was it that Ryan called us? House coat. No, it was a uh, posh. Uh, was it dressing gowns for posh people or something? Or no, for snobs? Uh, dressing gowns for snobs or something? Uh, apparently we're snobs. No, uh, Ryan called it a goonie. <laughs> a goonie is like a nighty. <laughs> right, we're good. Let's go back to the group chat. Right, we need to chat about this. <laughs> uh, I've been Stephen Wilson, and we will see you in 2020. Take care. Stop whatever you're doing right now. You've only got one choice. This is Billy Kirkwood. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online. You should be subscribing. You should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Get on it!